0: Welcome to the Trust Corner! Data drives decisions, establishes benchmarks, and creates performance goals. Data is as valuable to your company as it is to threat actors. The integration of technology in multiple aspects of business has increased productivity and growth, and places organizations and their customers at risk of cyber attacks. To build trust around the use of private and personal data, organizations that create technology as well as those that depend on it for their everyday business operations are relying on dedicated departments to address customer concerns. How can Chief Trust Officers create and maintain trust with customers? Our guest today is Mike Towers, Chief Digital Trust Officer for Takeda Pharmaceuticals International. Mike has over 25 years of experience in the information technology space for biopharmaceuticals and life sciences, environments, and companies. His focus has been in the areas of digital resilience, intellectual property protection, data privacy, and creating a trusted experience in healthcare. Welcome to the Trust Corner, Mike.
1: Thanks for having me, Elena. Good to be here.
0: Why don't we begin with your background? What led you to your current role?
1: Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned in the intro, I've been doing varying roles in technology and IT for life sciences and biopharmaceuticals since the mid-90s, everything from collaboration technology to voice systems to Unix systems programming. It's actually where I spent the bulk of my time. Uh, And then I had a B2B partnership role back in the mid-2000s, and I was approached by the chief operating officer at the time, asking me to take the role of the company's first senior cybersecurity leadership position, so basically the first CISO. This was back at uh, GlaxoSmithKline in 2008, which surprised me because I had never done security before. But as I always remember, he said, that's exactly why we want you. So I took that role. And then I've had varying different CISO or security leadership type roles for uh, three other global pharmaceutical companies. And then I joined Takeda in 2018 as the CISO and um, took over this new role, this elevated role that uh, I basically co-created with uh, some of the leadership here as the chief digital trust officer Officially, it took effect in April of this year.
0: Congratulations, Mike. That's incredible. So what do you do as the new Chief Digital Trust Officer?
1: Yeah, so it starts with the foundation of what we built as a CISO organization. So information security, information protection, cybersecurity. It's really, really important to note that those foundational elements are still in place Uh, There's also a compliance assurance element. So for a lot of the various compliance responsibilities that a company like Takeda needs to be compliant with from a technology perspective, whether it's uh, GXP, FDA, CFR Part 11, or other type of compliance, Sarbanes-Oxley, et cetera. So um, and then basically the chief digital trust officer takes that foundation and basically adds what I would call the external perspective, excuse me, of earning and maintaining trust predominantly based on the data, digital and technology landscape. So it's not a broad you know ESG type of role or some of the other elements that are important from a trust perspective at the corporate level, but this that which is why we call it digital trust, is it specifically around the trust elements that can and should be managed and uh, assured when you're dealing specifically with data, digital or technology systems.
0: Fantastic, that's so great to hear. And once again, congratulations. Uh, Mike, so you said that in your introduction, but uh, when you started at Takeda, you were the Chief Information Security Officer. Help us understand the change you went through to the new role of the trust officer. What led to your transition to the Chief Digital Trust Officer at the company?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And it's an interesting one. and something I'm quite passionate about, as you and I have talked about in the past and some of the other folks that are trying to do this. It's an interesting and exciting, and I think, frankly, a very, very important new area. So mainly what triggered this at Takeda was, as we all know, in our personal lives, there's quite a few industries that have been quite digital for quite some time. Uh, We do that when we shop, when we, you know, we do various things online. There's certain industries that have done a pretty good job from a data and digital perspective. Biopharmaceuticals and healthcare in general, frankly, has not been one of them. It's an area that's not been very, very efficient and frankly, not strong enough in using data and digital, especially when dealing externally and dealing uh, outside the company. So Takeda has an aspiration, a significant aspiration, to be the most data and digital biopharmaceutical company. And we're trying, working really, really hard to rewire the entire company to be more data and digitally driven. Everything from R&D with drug discovery up to automation in the manufacturing environments to having companion technology or post-treatment digital engagement directly with patients and physicians. So all of that and understanding that the company was basically trending to to a point where the trust of the company was going to be significantly based on how well we did data and digital. It's something that I started speaking to the CEO and other leaders a little over a year ago, knowing that the company was moving in this direction. And we've made some internal operating model changes. We made some other organizational changes and the timing was good to make this change as well. So, uh, again, it took a few months to plan it and build it out, but it took effect in April of this year as part of a a new operating model that, again, is all around making the company better and much, much more successful in using data and digital to deliver uh, business outcomes.
0: Great. So, Mike, um, you mentioned that before that we're both started and we're both in the security come from the security space. At the same time, we are in different industries. I want to know more about what concerns you have in your day-to-day work. What challenges have you faced in your new role?
1: Yeah, great question. So, like I said before, the really, really deep and extensive data and digital linkage Especially externally was not something that biopharmaceuticals has done. I shouldn't say hasn't done well. We really haven't done it at all. A lot of our dealings historically with physicians and especially patients has been abstracted through some sort of third-party intermediary, like a clinical research organization or patient advocacy groups. And a lot of, I would say, my historical CISO focus. Was frankly very internally focused making sure the employees and their experiences were protected making sure internal applications were protected making sure that we uh, met the appropriate compliance and privacy guardrails and regulations when we built things out internally um but what started to happen and where we're seeing some challenges is that we have had a lot more focus on experiential Uh, elements of our business value chain long-term. And I think one of the challenges that I faced, frankly, is scale. You know, Takeda is a pretty large company. We operate in about 85 countries, if not more. We have about 70,000 workers, about 55,000 employees, and another 15,000 or so contractors that are on our network. And that's a pretty sizable company. But when you start thinking about data and digital exchange and experiences by external parties whether it's patients physicians or other externally you know important stakeholders the scale is significantly higher so that's challenge number one is the scale is different you know you're dealing with users and you're dealing with environments that you know we weren't even working with two years ago we wouldn't have dreamed of having an application a mobile application in the hands of our patients as recently as two or three years ago. And I think the other challenge I would say, the significant challenge that we have is we really need to uh, prioritize and pick your battles here because one of the things that we've recognized and I'm sure all industries have recognized this is that it's hard to find a business process that's not dependent on data and digital in some way. So in essence, data and digital is underpinning the entire company and therefore, trust and resiliency of your entire company is based on how well you do data and digital. So it's a pretty daunting set of responsibilities. And it's uh, one of the challenges that we face is to make sure that we're tackling the most impactful and the highest priority areas.
0: Great, thank you so much, Mike. We have stated in past episodes that trust is defined differently by each industry and each sector. What does trust mean specifically in the healthcare industry from your perspective? What worries do your customers have?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. So with all due respect to folks in other industries, and I've worked with a lot of great people who work in other industries. You know, my father was in hospitality. but in healthcare your digital and data engagements are a whole different level of responsibility you know we're not enabling our customers to book hotel rooms or buy concert tickets this is about accessing healthcare which is deeply personal it's very very distinct and unique to every person and it's something that you know frankly recently we went having gone through the pandemic with covid there's a lot of uh, attention and scrutiny if you will on how healthcare is delivered, how medicines are delivered, especially pushing traditional barriers around, you know, whether or not they have to be in person. If you think about healthcare overall, I mean, all of us are patients in some respects and hopefully not as deeply or as regularly as someone who unfortunately is is very ill or dealing with um, complex disease or conditions. But healthcare historically, is very in-person heavy. You go to the doctor in person or whatever. And then COVID happened, and we started to really stretch the envelope of what could be done more virtually. And frankly, COVID accelerated or triggered the acceleration, digital transformation, if you will, of how healthcare is delivered uh, quite, quite rapidly. Something probably should have been done long before, but it did accelerate it. And there's a lot of inefficiency in the industry. Anybody who's traveled. Especially within the US, maybe you're on vacation or you're traveling somewhere and you need to get urgent care or you need to go to an emergency room. And th- you know, there's no way for them to get access to your data. Everything is insular to the hospital network you're with or your doctor's office or whatever. This is a lot of inherent inefficiency in how data is accessed and your ability to get digital care. So and one of the so there's a lot of mistrust, I would say, as a starting point in how well patients or how well physicians will trust that the data is going to be managed properly, that they have adequate control of their data, that when they're dealing with or discussing complex or deeply personal health issues, that their sessions will be adequately protected. So there's a a whole other level of trust, if you will, and responsibility, frankly, of trying to do this within healthcare. And that's one of the foundations upon which that we're trying to build this function is understanding and recognizing that and making sure that we build the necessary capabilities in to do so.
0: Excellent. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. Regulation is also something where that we're both very familiar with, and that we have to address in our work. How does uh, regulation and regulations like uh, HIPAA, for instance, uh, shape your security and trust strategies?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting concept here, and and, and interesting question. So regulations, of course, set the guardrails. Um, And, you know, regulations, frankly, it's not like accepting a risk. You know, regulations in many respects, you're either compliant or you're not. So there's not a lot of wiggle room. But um, in the privacy space, you know, HIPAA inherently is a privacy regulation. And a lot of uh, the international privacy regulations um, that have evolving or continue to evolve. A lot of them are based on trust principles that are quite consistent with data privacy principles. You know, making sure that there's appropriate purpose and intent for capturing data. Just because you can do something technically doesn't mean you should. You know, making sure there's appropriate transparency with how data is going to be used. Making sure there's adequate protection and controls with how the data is transferred and moved around. So a lot of the HIPAA type regulations or data privacy type regulations are also shaping, broadly speaking, how we ensure trust and make sure that we're building sustainable and resilient systems that also have trust built in. And I think uh, the other area that is important is like regulatory, you know, building and sustaining trust and maintaining trust is something that should be built in as early as possible so that it's deeply embedded. And that's another thing that we're sharing and that we're learning from the regulatory space is that the more you build in that, that level of uh, compliance assurance, the the more cost-effective and, frankly, the more straightforward it will be ongoing to maintain.
0: Definitely. Thank you, Mike. As trust space expands, we're seeing more and more companies create their own trust offices. What kind of companies or what kind of industries should consider creating a trust office?
1: Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, pretty sure we've not done 100% 100% verification, but we're pretty sure that I'm the first digital trust officer, officer at least in biopharmaceuticals. But there are definitely trust officers and digital trust officers in other industries, mean, obviously you being one, uh, they're, they're quite common in the tech industry. And I think the main reason why, uh, in some respects, it started with with the tech industry is because technology companies, by design, how well they do data and digital technology is fundamentally linked to how well the business does. You know, there are other industries where maybe you could do a lot of things manually or you could succeed as a business without doing data and digital well. You know, that list is shrinking. So if you really are making data and digital a fundamental component of your business, then a trust office is important for that because you can impact the reputation of your company with your capabilities, positively or negatively, of uh, gathering and maintaining a certain level of, uh, of, of trust. And to Kate, interestingly enough, trust is the second word of our value system. It's patient, trust, reputation, business in that order intentionally. So trust and reputation are very, very important to us. And we believe that as d- data, digital, and technology becomes the lifeblood of our entire business life cycle, that we foresee where how well we do that is just going to be just as much of a reputational indicator as you know, maybe the efficacy of our drugs or the quality of our drugs, uh, et cetera, because it's going to become such an important part of the way that data is exchanged and the way that we engage with patients and physicians. So I also think that any industry that is an extensive requirement to extend data and digital capability to its customers directly, uh, is another uh, important area for where trust office is important. So if you have you know users, customers, external stakeholders holding your product in their hands from a data or digital perspective, you know how much they trust that product is going to be directly linked to how well they use it and how successful and how impactful that's going to be. So I think a trust office is important there. So you know back in the day, when you used to book a hotel room by calling a reservations department, it wasn't as important now as, say, when you do everything online. I know when I travel, most of, all of my interactions with the hotel chains that I stay at are through their mobile apps. So that's something that I'm putting a lot of trust, and the company is putting a lot of trust in that, working very, very well. Because it, it is the front door to the entire experience. So I think anything where that external stakeholder group is critically engaged with you from a data digital perspective, I would think a trust office is something that uh, is paramount to your success.
0: Mike, I think you've anticipated partially my next question. So, where do you think trust is headed within healthcare? What is the future of trust now? and also across the global businesses? What do you think this trend will look like in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, specifically to healthcare and specifically to biopharmaceuticals, I think, frankly, it's important to understand that the baseline from a trust perspective. And this may vary by geography and it may vary by company, but let's face it, the trust and reputation of the biopharmaceutical industry specifically has not been great over the years. There's been, you know, issues of uh, inappropriate business practices. There's been a lot of assumptions or at least instances where, you know, revenue was the primary driver for the company and not improving health. So um, trust fundamentally and critically is important from a healthcare and biopharmaceutical perspective because uh, that inherently is how you build and maintain trust with your quote unquote customers, which in this respect would be patients or physicians, is how well your product's performing. And I think from an interesting, let's talk about the biopharmaceuticals industry for a second. The entire industry has historically been incentivized on volume of prescriptions, not effectiveness of the medicine. So um, if the more prescriptions that are written, and the more people take our treatments, the more money we make, which is the way it's always been. Doesn't mean it's right, but the way it's always been. And we're trying really hard, but companies like Takeda, as well as the system as a whole, to shift that model. The the incentivization model for being in our business should be based on how well or how much better symptoms improve or conditions improve if they're on our medicines. So how do you measure that? Well, you measure that with what we call outcomes data. So if I'm taking a, a, a pill or I'm taking a treatment, is my disease state better now than it was a month ago? How do I measure that? You know, I can measure it with wearables or other types of technology. All of that is outcomes data. And there are frankly a lot of insurance and a lot of uh, healthcare coverage models that are gonna use outcomes data much more directly to drive how much insurance or national health plans may pay for the medicine. So it's fundamentally important that we all get really, really good at this. And that level of data collection is fundamentally based on trust. we 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 need to convince patients and physicians that it's the right thing to do is to share their data back into the system, if you will, as input for new drug discovery, new treatment opportunities, new treatment models, et cetera, if we had every patient or almost every patient that's taking one of our medicines giving us their outcomes data in some capacity so we could see how it's working for them, that's a vital data source and an information source for us to use to improve and and to grow the capabilities and that's where healthcare is going is having that type of data collected at scale gathered and put back into the beginning of the process to develop new treatments and, and new opportunities for treatments and all of that is fundamentally based fundamentally based on the patients and the physicians trusting you know in air quotes the system to be able to provide that data back and oh by the way making sure that when you do provide that data back it's adequately protected It's always, your privacy is always maintained. And then you have the ability to control exactly where that data goes and who it goes to.
0: Fascinating. Thank you, Mike. At SAP, we try to amplify trust as an exciting space for people who are considering a career change or for new graduates. When recruiting trust professionals, what experience and skills are you looking for in them?
1: Yeah, you brought up uh, an interesting data point there because... My group and this new function is one of the early adopters I was within in Takeda of hiring people right out of school. So we do go after um, uh, more junior professionals, you know, maybe less experienced professionals, because, you know, living and breathing in a data and digital world is, uh, the, many of us who have been in the workforce for a while have gone through that transition but it's not something that these younger workers have had to deal with that transition they've they've grown up with it around them so their mindset of understanding the importance of data and digital is is more fully baked in so we do and we we have an a, a little saying here internally find a good athlete and teach the sport so a strong foundation of technical capabilities but also a strong foundation of of the human elements again trust being a human emotion even, of course, you do need some top uh, solid technical people, but understand the human elements, human motivation, cultural differences, et cetera. We look for broad risk thinkers because so much of trust and so much of security is risk trade-offs and understanding the risk and reward decisions of a uh, of, of risk acceptance, navigating the right balance of control and flexibility. And I would say the last more specific area that we're looking for is because, so much data and digital development is continually going on, is uh, we look for trust professionals or security type of, or risk professionals, where they have some assemblance of a developer mindset because of the iterative changes of of technology platforms. Understanding how a developer thinks is a really, really important element of trust because so many of these capabilities are constantly being improved uh, and iterated and there's continually updates going on and, and, and the developer mindset is really helpful there.
0: Excellent, thank you, Mike. We do a lot of the same things and emphasizing this opportunity for people to start new career, careers. So it's great to hear that um, you're doing the same at Takeda. Um What do many executives critically still not understand about trust in your space? What do you believe they should know or what do you believe they should see differently?
1: Yeah it's a great question. I guess the part so much I would say corporate executives or executive leadership and rightfully so is centered on things like you know KPIs and uh, performance metrics and bottom line numbers which again of course are important. But trust is such an interesting element because trust is a very human emotion. It's earned. It's not given. It has context. It has perspective. Someone's perspective of trust may be different than another person's perspective of trust, maybe depending on where they live or how they engage with you or what their role is. So it's a it's a it's a human element that I think is quite uh, new for some executives or some leaders who are th- are basically bottom line thinkers. And I also think that another executive, um, challenge or understanding that I see and I, I I try to work with folks to make sure they understand is kind of like what I was saying before, that you'd be hard-pressed to find any business process that's not fundamentally based on data, digital, or technology. And therefore, how well you do data, digital, or technology is directly linked to the reputation of your business process and the trust level of your business process. So understanding that and not making you know or or assuming, well, this part doesn't require technology. This part doesn't require data, because frankly, they're all going to. And planning for that as the default, not the exception, is another area that I think is 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 really, really important. And I think the last thing I would say is is understanding the wider ecosystem. You know, some executives, not all but some executives still think very insular. They think about the company, they think about the employees. They think about um, you know who's who's wearing an org chart. but I foresee a world where we just hit 3 million users on our externally facing identity platform, which is basically for patients, physicians, and plasma donors. Takeda has a therapeutic area or some therapeutic areas and a modality where we take donated plasma and we turn it into medicine. So donors are a big portion of our external stakeholder community as well. That number just hit 3 million. So 3 million is a very, very different number than 70,000. So understanding the wider ecosystem and the challenges of building and maintaining trust with that big of an ecosystem, with all the various complexities and differences across the globe, different cultures, different sites, different countries, all of that. So the scale is something that, um, is, is I think, some executives and some business leaders are still learning as well.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Mike. This is very insightful and great to know the areas where executives can still learn and think differently about the trust domain. Finally, what's your best advice for companies that are considering establishing a trust office?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question because the best advice I could give, at least to think about or at least plan this out, is rally together the functions that in essence exist to provide and contribute to resiliency and sustainability uh, and assurance every company has lines of business that are directly linked to what the company is trying to deliver from a bottom line perspective so in our industry that would be r&d manufacturing and our commercial sales and marketing types of organizations they're directly linked to business performance there are plenty of other functions that are not directly linked to business performance but they exist to provide a level of resiliency, sustainability and assurance to the company overall. So functions like ethics and compliance or legal or data privacy or or corporate affairs, all of them have a vested interest in making sure the company operates properly. And I think there's a lot of good synergy and good uh, thought leadership across those functions, even if their subject matter is different but broadly speaking they're all rallied around this goal if you will of sustainability and resiliency for the business and i think that's a really really important element to build upon is to get all of them together and lay out you know who's going to focus on what making sure that scope or roles and responsibilities aren't unclear um and i think that that's a, that would be one piece of advice i would give is you know work closely with your ethics and compliance folks your legal folks you know, uh, those other folks. Fun- HR is another important partner. So these functions that exist um, for a little bit of a different mindset, have a lot to offer if they work together to build up these capabilities.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Mike. We're very much looking forward to more trust offices being established across the industries. And thank you for joining us on the Trust Corner today, Mike.
1: Thank you, Elena. Thanks so much for having me.